Preface of Theophilus or Love Divine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Theophilus or Love Divine by Pierre du Moulin, translated by Richard Goring. To my worshipful good friend, Monsieur George Hackwill, Bachelor of Divinity and Fellow of Exeter College in Oxford. Sir, when you first wish me to read this discourse, commending it as a work no less scholar-like than religious, I was thinking how I might some way requite with somewhat more than verbal thankfulness your kind favours and good wishes towards me. But having perused the same, I thought I could not better employ my time of small employment than to translate the same as being a subject fit for all men seriously to meditate upon, supplying with my willing but poor endeavour that which you could have better polished, and I dare say willingly would, by reason of your familiar acquaintance with the author, if your leisure might have secured you to have taken it in hand yourself. Therefore, as you commend it unto me, for a piece neatly and eloquently done in the original, so surely it did ravish me in the reading, as being a most worthy theme, and hath emboldened me to recommend it back again unto you, thus homely apparelled in our mother tongue, in which it can lease but little grace, being in itself so gracious as it is. Suffer it, therefore, I pray you, if it be not too full of defects, to pass under your name, who best deserve herein, if aught there be deserving. For mine own part I will only say, I have strived to show some part of the pains I would gladly take to do you any pleasing service of requital to your many favours, which I will pray you still to continue, as I will always endeavour to be thankful and constantly rest, your very affectionate and much bounden Richard Goring. To the high and mighty Lady Anne d'Allegre, wife unto the high and mighty Lord Monsieur de Fevac, Marshal of France, and the King's Lieutenant in Normandy. Madam, the Apostle unto the Hebrews teacheth us that within the Ark of the Covenant there was a cruise full of manna and Aaron's rod, God thereby instructing us that he hath not only a care of the nourishing of our souls, but to correct us for our sins also, and that he hath given us together with the bread of his word, his rod of afflictions. The one nourisheth us, the other exerciseth us, the one instructeth us, the other reformeth us, the one teacheth us to do the will of God, the other maketh us to renounce our own, both equally effects of his love. For God humbleth us by afflictions, and pricketh the swelling of our pride. He cutteth and loppeth us, to the end we may bring forth the more fruit. He filleth us with bitterness in this life, to the end we might long for the life to come. For those whom God afflicteth grievously in this world, leave it with less grief. And indeed, if the children of Israel, being come out of Egypt, after having endured their so many afflictions, did notwithstanding grieve, and oftentimes mutinied to return thither again, how much more had they grieved if they had suffered nothing? Add hereunto, that God, who hath formed us to fear him, knoweth that our prayers are slack and cold in prosperity as proceeding from a spirit that is cooled by success, and which are indicted by custom. The cries which our own will produceth are feeble in comparison of those which grief expresseth. There is nothing so strong as necessity, nothing so ingenious to pray well as sorrow, which in an instant formeth the slowest tongues to a holy eloquence, and furnisheth us with sighs which cannot be expressed. It is not then in anger that God afflicteth us, but because that sin is a kind of falling sickness, God striketh and afflicteth us to awaken us. 
His beatings are fatherly corrections. If he used us otherwise, we should not be his children. For if a man, seeing two children are fighting, do chastise one for the same without touching the other, the standers-by, without further knowing him, presume that it is his father. So God correcteth as his children those which he embraceth with a fatherly love. He beginneth his chastisings at his own house. Now if Jesus Christ, as saith the Apostle, hath learned obedience by the things which he hath suffered, although he were the Son, how much more ought we to bow down our necks unto God's corrections, and humble ourselves in his presence, rather than to kick against the prick or to make the afflictions which are bitter enough of themselves to be yet more bitter by impatience. No one can make a white hair become black with all his care, but well may he make his black hair become white through his unprofitable discontent. It is ever better to follow than to be dragged on, above all when God conducteth us, for if the way through which he leadeth us be thorny, yet it is straight. Now when I cast mine eye upon all the remedies of afflictions, I find there are three things which may assuage grief, time, reason, and the fear of God. For length of time mitigateth sorrow, and closeth up the wound, yea, even in the weakest spirits, and the most uncapable of consolation, but reason esteemeth this remedy too long, and unworthy of a courageous man, for weariness of weeping is a poor remedy. The fear of God doth more, for as to appease grief, reason stayeth not for time, so the fear of God stayeth not for reason, but before that reason can bring in her consolations drawn from the inevitable necessity of evils, or from the unprofitableness of tears, that resolveth promptly upon the love of God, who chastiseth us for our good, so as instead of casting forth complaints it findeth out occasion of thanksgiving, and formeth not only unto patience but also unto joy, as acknowledging amongst his afflictions certain signs of God's love. These documents, madam, are so much the more familiar unto you, as you have had often experience of them, and who, being past her apprenticeship in afflictions, have carefully sought out the lenitives which God's word doth furnish us withal, which, besides that sobriety and modesty which shineth in you, and hath altogether estranged you from the vanity which nowadays reigneth in the world, have taught you to solace yourself with God. But take heed also, lest you suffer yourself to be overwhelmed with sorrow, and make piety the nurse of discontent. Inveterate griefs do often turn into habit, and old wounds become fresh with too much handling, which methinks is above all very unfitting your nature, whose meekness and gentleness so pleasing unto all, is much more at accord with joy. Shall it be said that the great vivacity of spirit which God hath given you serveth you but to feel grief more sensibly, or that God hath made you great, that your tears might have the greater fall? Time, which easeth the most ignorant people of their evils, cannot it finish the size of a person whom God hath so much enriched with his knowledge, Shall it not be better to joy in future good things, which are great and certain, than to afflict ourselves for evils past, which are remedials? Herein surely God is offended if in worldly crosses we find more occasion of grief than matter of joy in heavenly riches. And wrongfully do we complain of our afflictions, seeing we hurt ourselves, we do underhand as it were confess that God hath not afflicted us enough. The psalmist saith indeed that God putteth up our tears in his bottles, as precious things, but he speaketh of tears bred of repentance or of grief, to see God blasphemed and despised among men. For God gathereth not up obstinate tears, which, extending themselves beyond their limits, occupy the time due to consolation. 
How many times, giving yourself to reading, have you bedewed the Holy Scripture with your tears, and yet this book containeth the matter of our joy? And in the book of Psalms, the tunes whereof you love, and yet much more the matter, where you see your own picture and the anatomy of your inward affections. Have you not observed that all the Psalms which have their beginnings troubled, and whose first lines contain nothing but profound sighs and broken complaints, do end in delight and terms which witness contentment and peace of conscience? Let your tears, madam, be formed upon this example, and let them end in spiritual joy. Let your faith raise herself from under her burden, and let the sluices of afflictions which God hath stopped her course withal make her to run forth with the greater impetuousness, let her take strength from resistance. Hereunto the meditation of God's graces will much serve you, the which, if you counterbalance with your evils, they will mightily weigh them down. The only attention of future glory which you apprehend by faith, can it not digest all bitterness? That faith which filled the martyrs with joy in the midst of their present torments, may she not in our rest comfort us against the memory of past evils? And you who acknowledge what servitude those people live in, which are dragged into perdition by the invisible chains of opinion and custom, can you sufficiently magnify the grace which God hath given you in honouring you with his alliance and enlightening you with his truth? Yea, and in your lifetime, how many of God's assistances, how many difficulties happily overgone? God, having given you the grace to be alone in your family an example of constancy and holy perseverance in the profession of his truth, having made you great, that in the contradiction of the world you might be an example of your firmness and constancy. And yet, admit your wounds were more grievous, as taking all at the worst, our lives being so short they cannot long last, for you are not troubled to seek consolations against death, seeing that death itself is a consolation unto us. For God, if he receive the sighs which we pour forth in our prayers, much more regardeth he the sighs which our souls give up unto him in our death, which, being a place of shelter, and which putteth our souls into security, we ought not only look for his coming, but even go forth to meet him, hastening his coming by our desires, by the example of St. Paul, who saith, that his desire tendeth to dislodge and be with Christ. And to say with David, O, oh, when shall I present myself before God's face? For our souls being bound unto our bodies by two bonds, whereof the one is natural and the other voluntary, if through hatred and contempt of life present, we untie the voluntary bond, waiting the time when God shall break the natural, death then coming shall find the business begun and our souls prepared to this dissolution. These cogitations, madam, and such like, have hitherto given you consolation, the which, although you be sufficiently provided of, and have always ready many spiritual remedies, yet you borrow from others the receipts, and have thought that I could contribute something to your consolation, and to this effect, having heard talk of some of my sermons upon the love of God, you would needs make use of the power you have over me, demanding them of me in writing, knowing well that of the discontents of this life there is no such gentle removal as the love of God, or more stronger remedy than that he loveth us. Herefrom I drew back a long time, partly through idleness, accompanied with some other distractions, partly through fear, apprehending your judgment, which far surpassing ordinary spirits, feedeth itself not upon vulgar meats. At length, after long delay, being not any longer able to strive against your instant requests, which are unto me as so many commandments, 
I have let this discourse come forth in public under the protection of your name, to the end that the imperfections thereof may likewise be imputed unto you, and that you might bear also a part of the blame for having assisted at the birth of that which ought not to have seen the light. But I shall be easily excused as having obeyed you. For honour shall it ever be unto me to execute your commandments, and to employ myself to do your most humble service, as being your most humble and obedient servant, Peter Dumoulin. End of preface.